broadcasting live from the R&R Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. What's good, Raider Nation Radio? Uh, Raider Nation, welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. Uh, nothing like a slow news day, right? Uh, you wake up and uh, only to find out that Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, um, he's not asking for a trade necessarily, but you know, if it was to go down that path, uh, it looks like the Raiders are a team uh, that he would consent to waive his no-trade clause uh, to go play for. Um, and then uh, that's like when you wake up, doing the job that I do as the beat writer for the Raiders. That's on your market set. Go. Go figure it all out. Let's get a story out. Uh, let's try to figure out what's real and what's not real. And uh, and and we're still doing that. The head's still spinning, uh, but we're trying to get a handle on, on everything, and we're uh, glad to bring you everything that we know here uh, in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor and Lincoln Kennedy brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And to help us do that, uh, we're bringing in somebody that should, is well-versed uh, in what's going on in Seattle, and that would be Jake Heaps. Uh, he works for 710 ESPN Seattle, played quarterback uh, for the Seattle Seahawks uh, not long ago. So he knows that situation pretty well. Jake, first of all, thank you for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. Um, I've been doing this a long time, and I know uh, usually where there's smoke, there's not necessarily fire, uh, but there's the potential <laughs> for fire. Uh, I've seen it all too often. We've seen it this year. We've seen it over the years. Uh, and now all of a sudden... Um, Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks, you thought that was a marriage that was going to last forever, and maybe they're just going through a little bit of a rough, rough patch that they'll, they'll, they'll get through. But it sure seems like on the surface something's going down uh, up in Seattle. Can you shed any light on what that might be and how we've gotten just to this point with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, it. It is a crazy time here in Seattle. There's no question about that. And I think that at this stage for the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. They're kind of at a crossroads right now in terms of how to bring this all together. The reality in this situation is that in 2021, based off of Russell Wilson's contract, it is going to be extremely difficult to move Russell Wilson. No trade clause. Also, the fact that his contract would, would really hurt them in terms of dead money to the Seattle Seahawks themselves. Um, but the reality, too, is, is that this relationship can still work out. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Russell Wilson, they have really had a ton of great success here. And they're coming off, the crazy thing, they're coming off a 12-4 and regular season. Um, and they had an unfortunate end, uh, an ugly end to the Rams this last season and, and the second half of the season for the offense in particular. And Russell Wilson did not finish strong. And you just see some of the frustrations and everything kind of bubbling up to the surface. And... So I think that they're at a point right now, and Russell Wilson's at a point here in Seattle where he's looking at his career, 32 years old, trying to you know forecast everything. And, and these guys are insanely competitive. These guys, Pete Carroll, Shatter, Russell Wilson, they are focused on winning championships. And a 12 and four season would sound great to a lot of a lot of franchises, and they've had a lot of winning seasons. They don't take that for granted whatsoever. But it's about Super Bowls. It's about getting to that next step. And really, you look at the last five years for the Seahawks since 2014, uh, they have been treading water. Now, in a really good place, they, they've gone through the playoffs. They've won you know, 10, 10 win seasons nearly every single year. Russell Wilson's been at, at the top in touchdown passes you know, throughout that, that time. 
Um, but the ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl. And I think that there's a little bit of friction in terms of how they ultimately see how to get that done. Yeah, and um, you know when I, when I look at Russell Wilson, I cover the Rams, so I'm, uh, I, I know him pretty darn well in terms of watching him just literally. You know, I, you know, I say this figuratively, obviously beating teams all by himself, but it, 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 there's obviously ten other players uh, on offense and eleven more on defense, and you know that doesn't even get into the backup. So it's obviously always a team effort. But I've literally seen this dude pretty much single-handedly keep the Seattle Seahawks in games, extending drives, making big plays to win games. Um, he's he's as good as it gets. Um, but there's one thing that always has struck me, and I'm looking at uh, his, his stats right now. Um, it's 394 sacks in, since 2012. Uh, I'm no mathematician, but that's a lot of sacks over a pretty long period of time now. Uh, and it's consistently in the 40s, hovering in the 50s. There's been a year where it went over 50. That's just a lot of sacks. And, um, you know, you've played that position. And I know that, uh, you know, he, he, he extends plays. Uh, and so he'll, he'll hold on to the ball uh, as long as possible to find open receivers or to make plays with his legs. So that probably has a little bit to do with it. But how much of it is uh, the offensive line? And is there an indication there that the Seahawks have kind of neglected that uh, that that position, knowing that hey, we've got a quarterback that can overcome even a, a, a not so great offensive line because he's just such a premier player, and could that cause some frustration if you're Russell Wilson? Yeah, there's no question about that. And for Russell is one of the premier quarterbacks in this league. He's a special player, a special talent, um, and uh, he's a he's the epitome of a franchise quarterback. Um, he makes everybody better around him. And one of those points is the offensive line. And so when we talk about some of those friction points of where they can get better and how they can improve and what can help them get to a Super Bowl, uh, Russell Wilson has expressed that frustration of getting hit too much. And, you know, the thing about that conversation is, is it's a multi-layered conversation. Russell Wilson is a part of that. He does hold on to the ball uh, long. He does try to extend and make plays. Uh, but it's also due to the system that he has played in in his first nine seasons. Uh, this is an offense that is designed to attack that field uh, in, in seven-step drops, play-action pass. Uh, very rarely do they – it has been a main criticism of this offense for quite some time that they have not had a very good developed short-to-intermediate pass game, and that is by design. Um, Pete Carroll wants to run the football, be able to establish the line of scrimmage, and then be able to beat you over the top, and Russell Wilson – is one of the best in the game, my, in my personal opinion, the best deep. Well, but if you're talking about a player who wants to play for 10, 12 more seasons, he said that publicly, and at this rate of him getting hit, it's not going to, in my personal opinion, I don't think he's going to get there. So things have got to change, and part of it is him changing the way he plays a little bit, but also... Uh, more importantly, I think that's just a small sliver of the of the conversation. It's it is the style and scheme in which they they play. That's why they went out and hired new offensive coordinator Shane Waldron from the Rams to kind of bring in that system and that style of play to the Seattle Seahawks. But the other part is you you talk about the evidence of acquisition. It has been one of the. Uh, more confusing points here for the Seahawks in terms of how they've gone about trying to acquire players at that position. They've really tried over the years, but they've been really bad at it. Uh, in drafting and in free agent acquisition, 
Um, it, it's been it's been tough, and so they have gone out and tried, but they haven't gone after uh, the big name guys in free agency. Uh, for example, Jack Conklin was on the open market this last year at right tackle. He was an All Pro again for the Cleveland Browns this year, and instead the Seahawks tried to go with volume, tried to get a number of different players uh, at guard, center, tackle to try and add competition and see who could be the best guy who wins instead of going after the sure thing. And sometimes when you go after the sure thing, it carries a higher price tag, but it's well worth it. And so I think that there's a little bit of a friction point there in terms of how they go about acquiring and developing that talent and taking and finding ways to take hits off of Russell Wilson. We're talking to Jake Heaps uh, up in Seattle. He works with 710 ESPN Seattle, uh, former NFL quarterback, including with uh, the Seattle uh, Seahawks. You can follow him at JT Heaps 9 um, Jake, when, when Sean McVay took over the Rams, uh, toward the end of that first year, uh, I remember talking to players on the Rams, and they, they one of the things that, that kept coming up was how he listened to them, how he gave them, uh, he, he, he allowed them to be invested in the process in terms of communication, listening to what they had to say, having a say in things uh, happening. And I remember talking to a couple of guys and my response was, wow, shouldn't that be the case everywhere? That just seems, it seems counterintuitive for it not to be the case. And it was literally a couple of times where it would be the slap on the back going, Vinny, you're so naive. No, it's not like that everywhere. And you would think that it would be, but it's not like that everywhere. And reading some of the tea leaves and the, like this article that came out in The Athletic, it doesn't seem like Russell thinks uh, or perceives that he has a very big say in what, in what happens. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the offensive line, but I'm, and, and like you said, that's kind of a sliver of probably a bigger problem as it relates to that communication. Do you get the sense that that's the case as well with, with Pete? I, I've, I've known Pete. I've covered Pete. Um, he's a, he's a, I, I think he's one of the great coaches that's ever walked this, the face of the earth. He is very competitive. That could lead to some stubbornness sometimes, I'm sure. Um, but is that part of this as well? Does Russell feel like he deserves more say in the matter and isn't getting that? Uh, no question. No question. I think that's definitely part of the, 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 the problem is in terms of the communication and the uh, evolution of evolving the Seahawks offense. And as you mentioned, Pete Carroll is one of the great coaches uh, to ever uh, coach this game. He, he has also learned from his own experiences, his two failed experiences in the NFL, that, look, if I'm going to go down swinging, I want to go down what I'm comfortable doing. And he didn't feel like that was the case uh, in his opportunities as a head coach in the NFL previously with the Jets and then with the Patriots. And then that's where he goes to SC. He really develops his philosophy. He develops his win forever philosophy, writes a book about it. And that's all central to him. And he is one of the great player coaches in this league. And this culture and this environment here in Seattle is second to none in so many different ways. But in regards to the offense and the philosophy that Pete Carroll always has had and, and, and prefers his teams to be is great defensive-minded teams and that run the football, and then there you have risk-averse type of offense in terms of you don't turn the ball over. And that is rule number one is protect the football. And, and I think that being in those meeting rooms, it was a reminder every single day. It was a sticking point every single day for Pete Carroll, and at some point, I think now you're looking at Russell Wilson in his career, he's shown you glimpses and flashes of being able to, and I, I fully believe that he is fully capable of 
uh, taking things over and, and putting everything on his shoulders uh, to go win you football games, as you have mentioned that you've seen as well. Uh, but it's never been fully explored in the ways that some of the other great quarterbacks in this league have had before and that you currently see right now. And so I think that that is a friction point of just kind of two different philosophies or two different ideas, as I mentioned before, of how to how to get over the hump, how to get over this stretch of five seasons where, hey, you've won a lot of games. You've been able to get yourself to the playoffs, which is great. It's a, it's a tremendous accomplishment, and no one should take that for granted. But if it's about taking that next step and getting to the Super Bowl and winning a Lombardi trophy, uh, then where, what, how, do we need to, how do we need to do that? And I think for Pete Carroll, it is going back to that same philosophy and that same core of beliefs that he has always had. And I think Russell Wilson sees it a little bit differently. And, and really, I truly believe this is something where it's communication and trying to get on the same page. And right now, they just simply aren't. And I think we're all wondering how that's going to unfold and can they get to the point where they can mend fences and, and come together and meet in the middle a little bit. You know what's ironic about that? In Russell Wilson's rookie year, I went up to Seattle. I was working in Los Angeles at the time. Los Angeles at the time to do a story on on Pete Carroll and how he was literally in charge. Like I remember him telling me, "Look, I had other offers, but when I heard uh, ownership here say, hey, you get to it's your decision. There's no running things up the flagpole. The ultimate say is is mine.'" Um, and and the irony of of it all was it was Russell Wilson's rookie year, and I told Pete, I go, he's the epitome of that because think of it, they had just signed Matt Flynn uh, to a big contract. Uh, they kind of went against the grain to draft, you know, uh, Russell in the third round. People were laughing at them, uh, uh, you know, when they did. And then he, he he gives the job to the rookie over the guy that was making the money. Usually, you have to get all kinds of okays in order for that to happen, even as the head coach. And Pete Carroll was able to do all of those things because it was his show. He was making the calls right on down to starting a third round pick that people were laughing at. Uh, for taken over the guy that they just paid a bunch of money to in Matt Flynn. So to get to this point now, um, I just hope it all works out for those two because uh, Pete is running that show, but he also should be able to understand that, hey, Russell, you've gotten Russell Wilson to this point. If he wants a little bit more leash to call the offense and to make changes and to, and to run the uh, game at the line of scrimmage, now is the time to give it to him because we you don't want to get to a point where it's almost on the verge of getting to where there's just going to be a, a fracture that you can't mend. I I think that Pete Carroll is going to have uh you know the means um, as intelligent as he is to to mend that fence. But what if we get to a point where that's just not going to happen? And do you think that it could possibly get to that point? Look, I I I don't know. I don't know if we'll get to that point. I certainly hope it does not end up coming to that. But uh, I think that at this stage of the game, I think you can see both ways. For me, personally, Pete Carroll is in a position right now where he has five seasons left, and I don't think that he's going to coach any time beyond that. And he doesn't want to be in the middle of a rebuilding process in the last couple of years here in Seattle. He, won't, I mean, you know, you talk about leaving a legacy. You talk about, you know, how you finish your your career as a coach in this league um, and coaching in general, I, I think that Pete as a competitor wants to win a Super Bowl, and it's really difficult to do to go find the next quarterback. You've got one. You you are you got one of the greatest weapons in the NFL and the envy of everyone in the NFL. And, and, and there's only a few other places, a handful of places that 
uh, aren't envious of the Seattle Seahawks in terms of their quarterback situation. So uh, you look at right now, I think Pete absolutely recognizes that. And now it's a question of are they able to and willing to, more importantly, uh, find a way to make this all work. And as you outlined, um, conceding and giving that leash to Russell Wilson. And, and he has proven over time that he has been worthy of that uh, trust. And now are you willing to make some of the sacrifices and, and also make the acquisitions necessary to build around Russell Wilson, take the hits off of him, and uh, and really put pin your hopes and dreams on the fact that Russell Wilson can get you to a Super Bowl. Last year was a great indication of it. The first eight weeks of the season, they were dominant. They were good. Um, they were one of the best in football. The second half of the season, the defense started to take off, and they became arguably the best defense in the league. But ultimately, they ended up losing that game because their offense was playing very, very poorly. You can you can get you can win games, and you can you know it's very helpful to have a great defense. But for the Seattle Seahawks right now, the only way that they get to a Super Bowl is through Russell Wilson, through great play of Russell Wilson. And right now they haven't given him all the tools that he needs to be as successful as possible. They tried to spread everything out a little bit in terms of their roster, and, and we'll see what adjustments they make. We'll see what adjustments they make offensively. But to answer your second question, if they can't, uh, I believe that we're having a very serious, real conversation about Russell Wilson being potentially traded next year. I don't think it's fluff. Uh, as you said, there's smoke. Uh, right now it's smoke, and there's a lot of smoke going on. Um, and, and hopefully that this doesn't build into a full-out flame. Uh, but uh, right now I, I, I could definitely see that potential happening. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll see what ends up transpiring over the course of the offseason and through the season. But, uh, yeah, definitely a lot to, to keep your eye on here uh, with, with the Seahawks, with Russell Wilson, and, and with the other teams that were mentioned in of uh, potential destinations, obviously, you know, Vegas being one of those destinations. We're talking to former NFL quarterback Jay Keeps. He's a, a host at 710 ESPN Seattle. You can follow him at JT Heaps. Uh, nine, uh, before I let you go, uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Raiders' end of this. Um, you're on the Raiders' uh, flagship station here here in Las Vegas. Uh, no coincidence uh, that you just happen to be uh, invited to come on today. Obviously, the Las Vegas Raiders uh, prominently um, expressed by uh, none other than than than, than uh, Russell Wilson's agent. Uh, and when when you get that kind of confirmation, it takes things to a little bit of a different level. Nobody usually comes out and says that uh, to the extent that he did, but he did. And um, and the Raiders were one of the teams that. Uh, the agent said, hey, look, uh, we're not demanding a trade, um, uh, but if it were to go down that path, uh, the Raiders would be one of the teams that he would be willing to uh, consent to um, waive the no-trade clause. I'm not asking you to get into Russell's head or necessarily the Seattle Seahawks' head, but if you are, would love to hear uh, what their thoughts are right now. Uh, but specifically as it relates to Russell, uh, what do you think it is about the Raiders, the Raiders situation here in Las Vegas, uh, for him to you know, prominently uh, express a, uh, a willingness to come play here uh, when there's only three other teams that, that he'd be willing to do that for at this point? Right. Uh, so to me, the, first off, you know, to, I want to ask you a qu- quick question. I mean, the, the table-setting conversation, uh, as I'm, in terms of Michael Silver, he put that out there that, look, you know, they're listening to everything, but the, the conversation doesn't even start 
until you talk about three first-round picks at this current point in time. That could change. I don't see that changing. Uh, that would just be the starting point. Do, do the Raiders have that kind of capital or have that kind of willingness to be able to do something like that? Well, that's a great question. And uh, actually, I, I spoke to somebody today in the NFL, and the reference point that I used was the Matthew Stafford trade uh, to the Rams. And, uh, you know, I think people tend to forget this, but the Rams didn't just give up two first-round picks and a third-round pick. They also gave up a 26-year-old quarterback who was in the Super Bowl two years ago, uh, and, uh, multiple Pro Bowls, still a top-15 quarterback uh, in the NFL, and maybe in the right situation can get back on track in Jared Goff. That was a lot that they gave up. Uh, to go get Matthew Stafford. Um, and what I was told, uh, at least uh, in, in terms of who I've talked to today, is that um, Russell Wilson commands more than that. So you're thinking about Derek Carr, um, you know, obviously we'd have to be somewhere in that deal. Uh, three first-round picks, Mike Silver said, um, maybe maybe two first-round picks and a second-round pick. Do they have that? Yeah, they, they definitely they have that in the arsenal. Um, would they be willing to do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I've always written cuz I don't know if you I don't know if you've noticed, but in Raider Nation there's a divide between, you know, people that love Derek Carr and people that want to move on from him at the earliest moment. So, um right. And my my argument has always been the, the easy thing to do is trade him, but the hard thing is to replace him. And, you know, say what you want about Derek Carr, but he graded out and statistically in every other way as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL with a top 10 Offense. That's pretty much indisputable at this point. Could you have said that two years ago? No, but you can say it right now. He's playing like a top 10 NFL quarterback. If you move on from him, you better have a plan simultaneously to replace him with somebody better. There aren't that many right now as we sit that are better. Russell Wilson is. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. He is. Deshaun Watson obviously yeah. is. So, yeah. It would it would be intriguing. I I think the Raiders would have to be somewhat interested. Uh, they have needs on defense, but if you could get Russell Wilson, I've seen Russell Wilson make up for some bad defenses in Seattle to win games. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and I agree. So I I I asked that question just you know to see you know look would they even because I know John Gruden, I know Mike Mayoff, they're aggressive guys and and they're go getters. But the, you know the the. The reality is for Russ when he talks about you know checking boxes and things of that nature. I mean, okay, look, you know, part of the, the uh, big market that's Vegas. I mean, Vegas is a very attractive place. You know, the other thing, you know, you have Sierra, his wife, uh, who's a musician. You look at that market; it's very, very intriguing. But you know, from a playing standpoint, I mean, John Gruden uh, and Russell Wilson. They have a relationship that dates back to Gruden Camp, right? And uh, yep. and they hit it off, and and so I think that those are those are things that uh, stand out. And you look at their offensive line with the Raiders. You mentioned a top ten offense. I mean, in a lot of ways, that checks off the box for a quarterback when you're looking at it from an offensive perspective. Um, and so I think for all those reasons, it's definitely I could see very easily why the Raiders would be, you know, on that list of teams for Russell Wilson. Um, and I think that, you know, as of right now, what they've done, they have tried to build their offense, uh, and, and the Raiders are, have everything centered around their offense. Well, you go and put Russell Wilson in that type of system, I think it upgrades it significantly from what it already is. So I think that there's a lot of reasons for each and every single team, I'm sure. Um, but if you just look at it from that perspective, you're not even thinking about the defense, even though that's a big part of the equation. You just look at what they have on offense. It checks a lot of boxes. I talked to somebody in the NFL today, and this is—I'm thinking that they were being facetious, but who knows? Um, 
I said, uh, yeah, but they have so many needs, you know, defensively. And the response was, John Gruden doesn't care about defense. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're onto something right there. I mean, you picture Russell Wilson with Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, an improved Henry uh, Ruggs and uh, Nelson Aguilar, if they bring him back and Hunter Renfro, it, it, it has yeah, a nice and, ring and to it, top, I got to say. And a, and a top five offensive line for sure. I mean, you know, you talk about looking at ways to take off hits off of Russell Wilson. I mean, that's, that's definitely a way to do it. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, you know so when you look, go through the list of what could attract a player like Russell Wilson, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, but like I said before, I don't think we get down to that road here in 2021. I would be shocked. Um, a lot of things would have to deteriorate very, very quickly. And as a guy from Seattle, I am hoping desperately and being close to this situation and involved in this situation that, uh, look, we were able to figure things out. Russell Wilson stays here in Seattle. He finished his career uh, as a Seattle Seahawk. But, um, you know, I'm not going to be naive and, and totally uh, say that everything's fine and that his future in Seattle is secure um, so I, I think that it's definitely something that everyone's going to be paying attention to. Yeah, no question about it. Jake, thanks for spending over, going overtime with us. I appreciate the time and the insight. Uh, uh, hopefully you can come back uh, sometime soon um, You know, uh, to get your thoughts on whatever twists and turns this story takes. Take care of yourself, brother. I can't wait to get back up to Seattle at some point. Uh, hopefully I'll run into you when I, when I do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on uh, anytime. All right, you got it. That's Jake Keeps. Uh, former NFL quarterback, former quarterback with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, now as a co- uh, as a host uh, on 710 ESPN up in Seattle. Uh, he knows what's going on, or at least has uh, a close-up uh, view of what's going on in Seattle between Russell Wilson uh, and the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, obviously, uh, he, he laid out a lot of reasons why Russell Wilson uh, would like to come play uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. It goes beyond just Sierra, his wife, um, and the entertainment uh, element of it. Uh, there's a lot to like about this Raiders offense, and you put Russell Wilson uh, around the players that we just mentioned, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, uh, it has a nice ring to it. You're in the huddle, Vinny Bonster and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. It's time to tackle the top headlines of the day. I got blasted. This is 3 and Out. Vinny, are you ready for some 3 and Outs? I am, and that's the voice of Devon Cotton, our great produce, pr- producer. Sorry about that, producer. Um, and uh, he's got three um, newsworthy items uh, that he wants to uh, analyze and take a look at, and uh, that's exactly what we're going to do starting now. All right, let me play a little highlight for you from over the weekend. But, you know, this conversation is still raging on today. Timberwolves will take off a little bit of time here. Ooh, they were lucky that wasn't turned over. Anthony Edwards! finish with the exclamation point it's filthy there have been very few in-game dunks that have looked like that put that on a poster 
All right, Vinny, that was obviously Anthony Edwards, the number one pick in this past NBA drafts. Just great dunk, you know, just a dunk that, you know, you just you don't see those like just so often, man. I mean, that that was a poster that if kids still got posters, you should just put that on a wall and frame it. But the conversation comes in where you had Nick Duncan, more of a front office guy, analytics on Twitter, where he just gives out his stat line and, you know, says um, he only had seven points. 0 for, 0 for um, 7 from 3 and it's just well you know so like really how good of a game was it in a loss and it's one of those things where people are saying that it's one of those arguments where now it's just nerds are ruining sports where do you fall on the discussion can you just enjoy a good play or do you have to look at the deep down well I, he didn't have that good of a game even though he gave you like such a highlight yeah exactly and and uh, if I remember correctly um uh, Edwards was coming off a uh, a good run of games. You know, uh, obviously he's no Lamelo Ball. Um, uh, let's just throw that out there. He's the best rookie in the NBA. But there's some really good rookies right now, and Edwards um, was was on a good little run uh, up until that game. So it's not like he's been, you know, uh, not doing anything. And can we just appreciate the moment every once in a while? I mean, a good dunk is like fine wine i mean it's just it's like you you have to enjoy it man when it when it happens and you know when i watched that it was a fabulous dunk um i love seeing dunks like that felt bad for uh, whoever it was they dunked on but so be it you know you're in the What's nba how, right. yeah exactly how, how bad can life be you're in the nba so it's all good and hey trust me there's been some great players that have gotten uh, dunked on uh, over the years so no no real shame in that but you know what it got to me to thinking demon you know um I love Twitter, and I love Twitter for those type of moments. Oh, I love because Twitter. It's the best place on. It's the best app there is. Yeah, and and you know when 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 it happened, uh, you know obviously Twitter just came alive, and it, it was fun to watch all the reactions and um, you know see all the videos of it and everything like that. But it got me to thinking. I, I'm I'm you know uh, I've been around a little while, and I just I just uh, kind of like I I think about. Man, if, if Twitter was around when Dominique Wilkins, Dr. J, um, you know, Michael Jordan in her, in the early part of, of his career, or, or you know, uh, really the, for most the of his career, career for that matter. <laughs> you know, um, I think he, Twitter might have just been coming around. Yeah, pretty much all of Michael Jordan's career. So if Twitter was around when Michael Jordan Twitter and Dr. Twitter didn't like J, just become a thing to like, oh, nine, like, like, let's just pass the day. Right, exactly. No, no doubt about it. So, so um, like... Like I've seen some dunks, man. Like I've I've seen some dunks that you would not believe. That because not every game was televised, and because you didn't have Twitter, you know, some of them kind of, kind of, kind of just uh, have been forgotten. But I've seen like Larry Nance take baseline on somebody, and if you don't know Larry Nance, yeah, you know his son, Larry Nance Jr. But Larry Nance could dunk. <laughs> all right, that dude was a sky walker. Dominique Wilkins would would in an age where you would get elbows into your throat like guys weren't just giving up lanes like that, a dunk like that that you saw the other night somebody would have challenged that even more than you know uh than than the player did uh on, on saturday night but I, i'm just saying that i love a great dunk and i just i just w wish we could kind of go back in time a little bit to bring back some of those moments to see how twitter would react uh, when 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 Dominique uh, uh, Wilkins went one on five and just dunked on everybody in the arena, including the guy selling popcorn uh, a few feet away, and the coach and the coaching staff and and all and and the uh, f seven other guys that are sitting on the bench, because he would viciously destroy people, uh, you know, uh, in, in that regard. So 
as far as uh, you know, Nate Duncan, come on, dude, lighten up a little bit. It's one moment from one game. Uh, it doesn't have to be all about. Well, he only had five points, six, six games. I don't. What? Who cares, man? It was a great moment. We all enjoyed it. Uh, uh, back off, the, you know, the, the the computer screen and just enjoy it for crying out loud. I'm so happy he's on my team. It's a heavyweight belt, bro. That's a fight. All right, the Lakers have been on like a little game, on like a, a skid here, you know, without Anthony Davis. I think they've lost three in a row at at, at, at the current count. But the problem is that like now that Anthony Davis is taking this time off due to injury, people are saying that maybe LeBron James is working a little too hard in this regular season. You know, he's up up there in the in the top in minutes played. Do you think that maybe LeBron should take it easier, or, or hey, he's the king? He's been doing it so far. This is the 18th year, and it doesn't look like the minutes are slowing him down. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, if it was up to me, of course. But this is why I respect LeBron James so much. He's not into the whole gaming, the situation. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, uh, somebody told me, I got to look at this. Maybe maybe at some point in the in the break, you could check this out. Uh, but somebody told me that LeBron, that Kawhi hasn't played in back-to-back -back games uh, on successive nights for a couple of years now. Is that correct? I mean, am I, I think it I think it, somebody said it that was reputable. So I'm going to believe it. I don't need it. to look okay. it up to believe that, yes. Yeah, so so uh, I get and I understand um, the, the notion behind workload, and LeBron James is just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, uh, um, you know, uh, fix things now so that, you know, in terms of minutes, manipulate minutes right now so that I'm fresher theoretically down the line. And there's something really respectful about that, Demond. I get into arguments about this all the time with people. Um, who argue, well, you just don't understand what Kawhi is doing. Yes, duh, I get what he's doing. He's preserving himself for later down the road. It's smart to do that. There, but there's a difference between smart and right, okay? And when I say right, I mean part of a championship, Damon, I think anyway, and I'm, I'm, I'm an old-timer, I'll give you that. But part of a ch being a champion is being the last man standing uh last woman last man whatever sport we're talking about the last person standing uh at the top of the hill after it's all said and done and being the best and going through the whole gamut running through the entire gamut if you, if you were talking about like back in the day, magic johnson M michael Jordan, they weren't taking games off they weren't like sitting uh periodically during the season so that they'd be better to go uh, come May and June, uh, they, they they were they were they honored the people that came before them by playing through the finish line all the way through from beginning to end. Wherever it took them, however they were feeling at the end of the line, they battled through it to win championships. It's there's something about that. There's something honorable about that, and there's something dishonorable. As smart as it might be, obviously it makes sense to cut corners. Uh, in order to be better off down the line. Obviously, it makes all the sense in the world, but is it right? I don't think it's, I think LeBron James looks at it like that. And I and LeBron James also says this, and this is what he understands. Hey, man, you know what? Uh, you know, uh, there might be a family. There might be a kid uh, who, who, who saves up all of his money, him and his dad and mom save up all their money when they can, to come see me play, and maybe they have to drive. Maybe maybe we're playing in Atlanta, and you know this kid is from a neighboring state that doesn't have an NBA team, and they saw the game on the schedule when the schedule came out, and they drove you know eight hours to come see me play, staying overnight, paying for a hotel, whatever the case might be. 
How would you feel if you're that kid and that family that put all that money in to come see me play and I didn't play that night? Not because I was hurt. That that can sometimes happen. But because I just decided to take the night off. He doesn't feel right about that. And I respect that about him. I respect that about him. And I respect the fact that he's willing to run through that gamut and battle through all of the attrition, battle through all the physical uh, nature of this sport, of his sport, to try to be the, 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 the last person standing when it's all said and done. And there's something honorable about that to me. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on it, Devon, but I find that refreshing. It's LeBron. He can do whatever he wants. If he wants to play, let him play. If he wants to sit, let him sit. But do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the honorable, the honor, yes, honorable the back, fact. The back in my day, players never took a day off. I get it. Back well, it's not day. It's not back in my day. It's right now. It's happening right now with a guy that le- like LeBron James who's 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 who understands that who just thinks along those lines it's not just about back in the day there's many tom brady tom brady doesn't take a snap off in practice well that's well that's he dip, he, he has taken he does take take some practices off where bruce arian is like come out so, hey, just, now just, he is, yes at 43 he is okay, okay but pre- so it's but it's it's not so football i don't think it's comparable like you know I think there's quarterbacks in the NFL that refuse to give. Yeah, but there's quarterbacks in the NFL that refuse to give up snaps during practice because they feel it's so vital and so important to what they're doing. I think that's more so that they don't want the backup to get the reps, not that they think that they're just going to no, get better no, by throwing 10 more passes. No, I listen to not necessarily. No, not, not, it, 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 it isn't. It's because practices now have been scaled back a little bit and they want, they want the reps. They feel like they need to have those reps. And the, the more importantly, they're not cutting any corners, and it's not—it's not a yesteryear thing. It's not an old, oh, get off my lawn type of a thing. It's a state of mind, and uh, and there's 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 people that 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 contemporary players. LeBron James is a contemporary player that understand that and respect that, and there's others that don't. And I I, I this is I one respect- of the first this is one of the first seasons in a while where he's where he's taking this approach. His first season in L.A. when they were bad. Oh, I think that maybe if no, he got a, hurt. If, but if there no, was a playoff, he didn't take if, any nights off. If there was he a got playoff, hurt. What about in Cleveland when he just took those nights off when they were a little bad there too? Okay, you might we we can talk about the injury. No, of course, he, there were there were yes, there was always think, an injury involved with yes, with, uh, but an injury. Do we think that if it's the finals, is he playing? If it's the playoffs, is he playing? Yes, I think these injuries were they weren't you know they were they weren't injuries that but but they, they go off LeBron but, okay that's sidelined. that's. All, That's all different. I'm saying, all I'm saying is that you know he has taken some he has taken some time off. This is one of the first seasons in a while where he's j- j- where he's taken it upon himself to say, "Hey, I'm going to play every game and I'm going to play every minute." No, that's not true. Not number one and number two. That's that's you know uh, if you're if you're not feeling right a certain night and you're like, "Hey, I, I can't go," and there's an injury factor involved. That's one thing. With Kawhi Leonard, there's like a there's like a plan throughout. The, it's a pre-planned type of a thing. Like it's not about how he's really feeling. It's like you're take. I'm just taking this night off, and it, I, it's been planned for a month. That's the part of it that where I feel like there's some gaming of, uh, uh, you know, gaming of the system that's going on. They're they're pre-planning it. It's not just some haphazard thing. There's literally a plan in place to get him through the season so that he's going to be okay to go in the, in the playoffs. I just, I, I, I don't feel right about that. I don't, I, I, I think that it, it, it does dishonor every, every come before it you. It doesn't that's dishonor had to anything that Kawhi wants to take care of his body. That's sort of, it's like, I get what you're saying, but it's not like he's making a mockery of the game or anything just because he needs to take care of his body. That's where it's like pump the brakes. I understand what you're saying, but it's just like, take it easy. 
I'm not. I I I, I am taking it easy. I, I I I and and I think if you were to put it out. Uh, if you were put that put that out on Twitter, I think that there is a, an, an inclination of, I mean, well, you could have said that Magic Johnson could have taken care of his body, Michael Jordan could have taken care of his body, any you can name anybody that could take that could have taken care of their body. Obviously, it makes sense from that from that perspective, but by the same time, I think that winning a championship, there's something to be said about going through the full gamut in order to be that last person standing. That's part of being a champion. Who can get through it? Who's the strongest? Who's, it's the survival of the fittest. Kawhi, it's not, Kawhi has shown us that it, when, if he does, his way can win a championship. Obviously it can. He's cutting quarters. He's more fresh down the stretch because he took time off. In the, it makes all the sense in the world. But there's a difference between does it make sense and does it it does it does it does it is is are you cutting corners? are you literally cutting corners i think he's cutting corners all right so i'm gonna put it on a poll is resting cutting corners I, you have to word it correctly all right well, you have tell, to, give, me, give me the proper wording for it so i can make this poll as we go to break. all right um uh you have to word it this way uh lebron plays it it, it, it uh does not believe in uh, uh you know uh workload management hey, Twitter, people don't want to read that much <laughs> you have yeah you, you, We'll figure it out, but we'll put it out on on is there you know whose way is is more honorable, um, you know LeBron James playing through the finish line, uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard manipulating the schedule, um, for, you know for for his benefit, something and along that those lines was three and out. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Thursday. Russell Wilson and the Las Vegas Raiders sounds crazy, right? But you know what? Um... As this offseason has already shown, um, and the quarterbacks that have already been traded, uh, the movement that we've already seen, um, just sports in general. Uh, James Harden started the season with the Atlanta or the Houston Rockets, uh, and now he's in the, with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, crazy things happen. Players have power. Uh, players have say in the matter. Players can impose their will. Uh, players can get what they want sometimes, and I don't begrudge them at all. Uh, and if Russell Wilson uh, wants out in Seattle, it doesn't appear that it's come to that point, although there is somewhat of a rift going on between he and uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, it could very well get to a point where it's like time to break up. Uh, we've seen it happen in sports. Um, it's sometimes a surprise, but it's not a shock. Uh, and long story short, uh, if it does get to that point and the Seattle Seahawks do begin, uh, you know, uh, taking inquiries about trades or going down that road, uh, the trade route, uh, Russell Wilson, who has a trade clause, and uh, he's told uh, the Raiders or, the, excuse me, the uh, Seattle Seahawks, uh, I'm not looking to get traded. I'm not demanding a trade. But if it comes down to that, uh, and if we get to that point, there's four teams that I want to play for. And the Las Vegas Raiders are one of those teams. That in itself, and that story came out today, confirmed by his agent that that's what he's told the Seattle Seahawks, that the Las Vegas Raiders would be a destination that he would be open to going to. Uh, and not only that, 
be willing to um, waive his no trade clause uh, to land in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And it, it, it obviously makes for an intriguing thought because uh, as good as Derek Carr is, and he played as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, um, I keep beating this drum. Um, I know that there's somebody always cherry picks some stats to say, well, he was 11th in this. If you put it all together uh, by all um, the the pertinent pertinent metrics and measurements and stats and all those type of things. If you put it all together, Derek Carr was absolutely a top ten quarterback in the NFL. You don't move away from a Derek Carr and start all over at quarterback unless you have a better option in place. There aren't that many in terms of better options, uh, and certainly not available. You start looking at that list, and you're like, Nah, he's a no, 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 no. Oh. Turns out that Russell Wilson, who is a better quarterback than Derek Carr, uh, might be available. And, oh, by the way, he's expressing interest in playing for the Raiders if he were to get traded by the Seattle Seahawks. You put Russell Wilson in this offense with Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, uh, an improving Henry Ruggs, um, Hunter Renfro, Brian Edwards. Uh, if you re-sign uh, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, now you put throw him into the mix uh, as well. Um, an offensive line that, when healthy, uh, is one of the one of the best in the NFL. Um, part of that would require bringing back Trent Brown. But if you have R Russell Wilson in tow, uh, you know all of a sudden that offense goes from very good, which it was, it was very good, to potentially great. And I, there aren't that many other quarterbacks outside of Derek Carr that I would say could do that, could take it to another level uh, from what Derek Carr is doing or has done uh, and did last year. But Russell Wilson is one of them. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, furthermore, a lot of it would be uh, is predicated on where the Seattle Seahawks are and whether or not they believe they can rectify whatever's going wrong uh, in Seattle with, with their star quarterback. Uh, and if they can, then there's no reason that they're going to trade him. So it becomes a moot point. But if they can't, and we've seen fractures turn into full-on breaks and break-ups, uh, the Raiders, I think, would be um, wise to at least look into what it would cost to get Russell Wilson because him on this offense takes this thing to a whole other level. I want to say thank you to all the callers. Uh, you brought the energy and you brought the insight today. Uh, really appreciate um, you know uh, all the calls and thoughts. Uh, keep it coming tomorrow. We'll be back from 4 to 6 p.m. as usual in the huddle uh, with the mini Monsignor. Uh, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Demond, thanks for everything that you uh, that you do. Uh, our great producer, Demond Cotton, back at home base. Uh, appreciate you, brother. Um, and to all the listeners, thank you very, very much. Can't wait to get back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. In the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. <laughs>